Hello, everybody, and this is another episode of the Football Scouting Podcast. Uh, today, we're going uh, back to the team. We're um, going to talk with Matt Mercier, or is it Mercier? I should have asked before the podcast started. <laughs> it's Mercier, but do not worry about it. Everybody, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I assume, I assumed, uh, assumed French, but like with with the EIRs or IERs. Uh, it's it can be it can be a little tough, but yep we uh, brought him on. He has been um on the XTB team. He was on our uh, one of the first people on uh on the team. We uh, worked together a little bit on PFF and when I was just starting to plant the seed and looking for people that would want to join in a pro- um in this uh process, he was one of the first people in. So we've been working together for about for almost a year now, believe it or not. And uh, this is going to be his first time on the podcast, and we're excited to um, excited to have him on. So, uh, Matt, uh, tell 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 me a little bit about uh, a little bit about yourself, your, your background. You play football. You didn't play football. Your dad's a football coach for in Canada. What, what's your backstory? Yeah, I uh, I played football in high school. I was one of the most undersized centers in the state. Uh, I I had to play in. Uh, I had to play against some really good players, some really good D1 players um, in Michigan. I uh, I didn't end up playing in college, but uh, as soon as I started or started college, I wanted to stay involved in football, so I uh, got in contact with PFF, uh, did some work for them for a few years, and then this year uh, decided to help Scott with XTB. I also do some fantasy football writing for important nonsense. I'm all over the place, but uh, I suppose what's just interesting about me is I definitely have a few opinions. Uh, from in both the analytics and the film side, uh, with my original uh, work at PFF, sort of started in analytics because when I was in high school, I ran a lot of uh, fantasy football leagues, got me interested in analytics, um, and then here I am with uh, XTB, doing a bunch of scouting. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, have you been doing? Have you been helping out with uh, the Michigan football team in any way in sports information or um, with the football department? Anything? Have you been doing any of that? Yeah, I thought about it, but with all this COVID stuff, because this is my first fall at Michigan, so this, well, with all this COVID stuff there, uh, the uh, I suppose the involvement opportunities have been sort of limited, right? But uh, I've definitely um, – it's been interesting to be at Michigan and uh, watch the football program work. Maybe not this season. We don't want to talk about okay. that. But <laughs> Yeah. I'm uh, – what is it? I, I'm in Cleveland. I am surrounded by Ohio State fans. Uh, I grew up an Ohio State fan. So uh, now, but in my older years – I mean, I'm only 25, but as I've gotten older, I've realized Ohio State fans are just a little annoying. Sometimes yeah, a, little... a lot annoying. <laughs> I've, I've definitely been flipped off driving through Ohio a few times uh, just because of my Michigan license plate. I <laughs> definitely uh... have memories of that, but – Yes, it's um we are we're we're very pa- uh very passionate about that, but um I guess I just decided that I was going to move to being a Mid American Conference fan due to my alma mater Bowling Green. We won a couple MAC championships over there, and uh, yeah, just seeing a whole bunch of like Ohio State fans at my own college when my college is winning conference titles just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So now it's just like. I don't know. I feel like uh, somebody who's a big fan of a small rock band, but everybody around me is a fan of a big rock band, and then I just have to resent that rock band for getting in the way of my little rock band or something of that nature. Are you, uh, are you uh, what, sophomore, junior, freshman? I, I'm going into my 
sixth semester. Uh, I actually just finished my last exam of this semester yesterday. Let's but, uh, go. Yep, yep. So do you want to be, just be grinding film over the next week or so? Exactly. And that's that's uh that's what we're he- what we're here to do. So you have a background in uh, data science, and um how how did that help you with PFF? And was um working at PFF like what you expected it to be? Did you feel that you should be doing more? Is it do you feel that it's been uh, helping you understand football? Yeah. So I actually um when I first started college, I was a physics major. Then after doing a uh, physics or doing research over a summer, I decided that I didn't want to do that. So I was kind of at a rift. So I was like, well, I like football and I like math. So let's, let's check out football analytics. Uh, got a, uh, got that summer or another fall job at PFF. So that was really interesting going through the data collection and the, the process that they have to go through. I mean, they have hundreds, hundreds of people working constantly every Saturday, trying to get all the uh, data in line for all their uh, analytics that they use. Um, it, it was honestly kind of impressive to see um, the how so many people work together to, to provide all those analytics. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think working at PFF uh, definitely was my springboard into the uh, football world. I mean, I, I was able through PFF to get contact with multiple, and not only people in the football analytics industry, but people in the scouting industry. Like I met you um, working at PFF. We started working last year on that uh, on that scouting book, and we're obviously now working at uh, XTB. So I think working at PFF was definitely a, a great springboard, at least for my football career. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is it's my third year. It's my third year here. Um, it's just kind of great, be, uh, great being a, uh, just around around things and seeing the process and like understanding like one how many people like how many eyes go on one college football game just to get the data that they need to make to get all of this stuff done and like watching like that spreadsheet of like all of the initials for each process for each game and just slowly watching them all get che- um, checked, uh, checked red, meaning that they're all done is, has been really, uh, really cool. I know uh, my, uh, one of my things, and I'm not sure if this has been because of uh, COVID was just kind of like how slow it is to like wor- uh, work your way up. Um, I was just about to start training on, on doing the grading, but then I decided to do the XTB stuff instead. And they said, I can't do grading and the XTB stuff. So that kind of, uh, kind of ended that, and I really wanted to help them with their draft coverage, but they they, decli- uh, they declined uh, my services. So I'm like, fine, I'll do it myself. And, uh, <laughs> Run my own. <laughs> yeah, and um, well, yeah, that's uh, that's that's what we're doing. Uh, so, uh, with your experience both in um, data and in um, uh, film. There's kind of like a little, I don't want to say it's a fake battle. It should be a fake battle because analytics and film should work off of each other. But um, a lot of people will try to uh, make film Twitter and analytics Twitter and nerds saying that you should run the ball 10% 10 of the time and football purists saying there's nothing wrong with running 40% of the time. All this stuff is going on. Where um where do you find yourself in that and what thing what things have you learned from football analytics Twitter and uh or football data and analytics 
compared to what things you've learned from scouting that have shaped your football philosophy, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Yeah, I think it's a really a really interesting conversation um, between analytics and film Twitter. I mean, you can't have – there's no way a team operates entirely on analytics, and there's no way a team operates entirely on film, right? You need, it's, I think in the future of football, you're going to have to be able to find the right balance between the two. And I think the most interesting discussions revolve around the importance of running the ball as these, uh, as the arguments tend to revolve around, right? Running backs, running the ball, just how valuable can it be? Obviously film guys saying that you're going to need to run the ball to establish the pass because defenders are just, if they're worried about the run, then they're going to be more concerned, more at the line of scrimmage and opening up the pass. Whereas analytics um, suggests that that might not be the case. I definitely, I, t- I tend to fall in the middle of these arguments. Um, I think in that specific one, like, I don't think you need to run the ball to set up the pass, but I, but you can't pass it every play, right? If you, is if you're passing exactly. it, if you're passing it 18 out of 20 times, then te- the team's just going to drop, uh, like drop guys in coverage, have unique blitz concepts to get to the QB. And you're, you're going to need be, need to be able to exploit, uh, the weaknesses of the defense. And I mean, you see it, uh, in the NFL all the time with teams like the Titans who can win the game just by giving Derrick Henry the ball 35 times. And you see teams like uh, the, t- the Bucks this year where there have been games where Brady just throws the ball 50 times and they score 40 points. So it really just depends. I, there's multiple ways to win football games. Um, I think the most difficult um, thing to do is analyze the value of targeting the run game in your draft setup. So teams like the Cowboys, who drafted Zeke at what I think I believe was fourth overall, like five, six years ago. Uh, Giants drafted Saquon, I think second overall. All these teams are picking up high running backs. And I mean, right now those teams aren't doing well, but I mean, who's to say that I, who's to say how good the Cowboys would be with Dak this year. And who's to say how good the Giants would be with a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. It's um, I, I think the whole drafting running back thing has been pretty much uh, pretty much solved that drafting a running back early in the first round is not a good idea. Yeah, I know the P, the uh, the PFF guys, mostly uh, guys like Eric Eager and George, uh, they would probably want to move them back into like the fourth. Right. But uh, I think there can still be some value for a, run, a running back in the second, depending on uh, depending on how you use them. Right. I've just seen it so many times with uh, Zeke, who I will constantly say is the most overrated player in the in the NFL, um, not doing well at the four, uh, fourth spot. Uh, Leonard Fournette. Yep. You can have a take on Barkley where he's where he is great, but then gets hurt. So um Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny, like even those types of players, it can be really difficult to right. hit hit on running backs. And then you see guys like James Robinson, Aaron Jones, uh guys who get taken in the late rounds who end up being quality quality running backs. And so that kind of made me kind of sold on like how you can find running backs in a whole bunch of different places in the draft if you if you if they fit the system right and you uh you do well 
but I do still think there is uh, is value in running the ball, and I've learned a lot more about that by watching the Cleveland Browns this year. I'm a Browns fan, and it it's been absolutely crazy. That, like I was just thinking, hey, I'm 25 years old, and I think this may have been the first time I've ever watched uh, the Browns play in a primetime game with playoff implications, um, uh, with playoff implications um, that was close. Like th- this was like my first nail biter that actually right. mattered. In yeah, that was my a good life. game too. It was a great. They lost. Game. They lost, but they at least to me because I I kind of thought the Browns were overrated this season. I wasn't sure how good Baker could. Baker could because Baker's he, like every other game he he either pops off or he throws five picks, and I'm not really sure whether or not he's good enough to carry the team. But they they played really well against the Ravens at a nail biter game. It, it took Lamar Jackson to remove his bowels to win the game. And I mean, they, they proved to me that they're, if not a contender, at least definitely worth the playoff spot and they could win a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, we will easily be the number two team in the <laughs> um, AFC North. Sorry. That's uh, throw it in there. You got to throw it in there. Exactly. We, yeah, we have to, have to get one of those but um one of the the main thing that i learned was that how well running the ball can actually like set up play action i know josh hirschmeyer did a study saying that hey there is really no evidence that running the uh running the ball sets up play action and that we you can see that hey a team can run 10 uh like eight play action passes in a row and hey they're the linebackers are still going to be in the same place but to which i would have countered with we haven't tested the logical extremes like there isn't a team that runs play action 50 percent of the time there 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 can't be play action passes are kind of like the three-point shot in basketball where they're very good and very efficient but there's a limit to how many you can do before they stop before they stop being efficient and then and seeing like the browns like were run game is it's entirely built off of like the connection the marriage between their run game and their passing game how you don't know whether the play is going to be a run or a pass until um till very very late and then you have run plays that set up pass plays run plays that set up counter run plays run plays that will set up their run plays that set up their trick plays and trick plays that can set up their pass plays. So I think the most crucial element to an offense is not you should uh, you should run run the ball this uh, percentage of time. You should pass the ball this percentage of time. You need to pass the ball deep this percentage of time. It's to be able to set up an offense where things look the same and that the defenders won't know what's coming until late and being able to try to like psychologically conditioned defenders to be in in this play uh in this place because you set up this play but then now we're doing this play this play and we have a wide receiver going right over top of where they should be but they came down for the run that is how i think the best way to run an offense is and that's like one of those things that it's going to be really really difficult for any analytical system or to figure and to quantify that in a spreadsheet right because i think one of the most interesting parts of this is you know the analytics doesn't say running the ball is is bad the analytics say that you should be running the plays that get you the most yards right running the plays that get you the most yards that get you the highest probability of winning the game and it just so happens that passing the ball is overwhelmingly more effective at doing so right but i think the browns are a really interesting case because the emergence of nick chubb and the browns offensive line has been incredible this year um 
I, I think that's because it just works. I mean, Nick Chubb is just really, really good, and the Browns' offensive line is just really, really good. So handing the ball off to Nick Chubb isn't necessarily that bad if you're getting eight yards every time you do it, right? And mm-hmm. the threat of that is going is I, I mean, I understand from the perspective of a linebacker, you see Nick Chubb getting a handoff immediately after he just ran for 30 yards. You might bite up on the play a little bit, which might set up a pass over your head, right, to Jarvis or to Rashard Higgins, who's been playing really well as of late as well. So I think the Browns are an interesting um, interesting study uh, into how valuable the run game can be. Uh, another team I think that uses the running game very effectively would have to be the 49ers. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is just an absolute genius when it comes to designing run plays. Um, And not only to his running backs. I mean, you see players like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk getting jet sweeps uh, at least a few times a game that go for 20 yards. Right. And the 49ers have been able to be effective in the run game with players that I've never heard of. I mean, Raheem Mostert has more 80 yard run plays in the last two years than probably Zeke in his entire career. And Raheem Mostert, I believe is an undrafted guy. He's like, he's five years into his career. Didn't nobody knew him before, uh, before he started playing for San Francisco. And um, I think, I think it just proves that you can have a successful run a run system that is backed by analytics if you're good enough at it and you don't necessarily need good running backs, but you definitely need good coaching and a good offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And what is it? Kevin, uh, Kevin Stefanski and um, Kyle Shanahan. What, what, what do they both have in, uh, in common? Shanahan and Kubiak. Yep. Uh, Stefanski went on, learned a bunch from Kubiak. Kyle Shanahan obviously learned a lot from, um, from Mike Shanahan and probably, and I believe from Kubiak as well. And yeah, that was what the whole the whole system is about. It's about using using your zone run plays, getting your core um getting your quarterback out in space on boots, making it so that the edge rush uh, edge rushers don't have uh don't have the same spot that they're aiming for every uh, every single play because there'll be boots rollouts. They have to be on their toes more, and. It's honestly probably been one of the most successful systems out there. I mean, McVeigh, Shanahan, Stefanski. I was Lafleur back when he was more with Tennessee. I'm not sure how much he's running that kind of stuff with the Packers. But yeah, that seems that that actually seems to be the big hip uh, trend in the NFL more so than the than the pass the ball a whole bunch type of uh, strategy. Right. Unless you have Patrick Mahomes. In which oh, case, yeah. In which case you can do whatever you want. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Pat, Pat Mahomes appears to me to be like a cheat code or yeah. just he, he's kind of doing some things that are that we haven't really seen since Peyton Manning was the quarterback. So this is a, uh, a scouting podcast. And I was wondering how much the I mean, we talked about analytics from the whole uh, game planning process, uh, game planning process and understanding the game. Uh, how ha- how has analytics maybe helped you out with um, with uh, scouting? And uh, what do you feel there um, are the challenges in, are in incorporating uh, n- numbers and analytics into scouting? Yeah, I think it's a really it's it's really difficult because scouting is has inherently in the past been a a film job, right? 
you're if you're if you were a college football scout, you were watching film of these players and based on the film, deciding whether or not they'd perform well in the NFL. Right. And of course, the analytics come out um, with companies like PFF that are saying, like, sure, this this guy's this guy might look good on paper, but his EPA per play is actually well below average, you know, stuff like that. So I think, again, with I think the future of football is finding a balance between film and analytics. I mean, players, uh, when I think of players that best exemplify this, I think like Deshaun Watson, who on film looked very good. And, and when you watched him at Clemson, he, I mean, he's a gamer, right? He won every important game he played or at least competed in every single important game he played. And he just looked good on the field. He's great leader. And, but going into the NFL, the analytics were in doubt. Uh, I guess the film and analytics guys were arguing about him. And here he is today being arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, carrying the Texans organization for the last five years. Right. And so I think it's definitely something that film and, and analytics Twitter are going to have to discuss, uh, maybe uh, become, make a little friendship going on. Cause it's, I think you need both really. You can't you can't have one without the other. I think in today's day and age, and being able to mold the two, I think the teams that can do that the best are going to be the teams that end up drafting the best players. Absolutely, and one of the, like the kind of the weird thing is when we incorporate PFF or analytics is PFF. All of PFF stuff is based off film. Right. All of the numbers come from somebody watching film and tr- uh, trying to quantify as however objective or subjective you may think our grades are. There are elements where our grades are quite objective, where we actually say, hey, if it's if the if something is over two point five uh, um, for like a pass rush, then it's this. If it's under, it's this. Like there it's, uh, there is almost like a flow chart thing on um, what you see that's more objective. But there also when I was practicing grading a whole bunch of stuff where it was like it's 50 50 whether I should call whether I should call this play this or this. And it, it can kind of depend now over the course of 100,000 plays. Yeah, I think our grades are going to are going to be pretty solid, maybe like plus or minus one point on the on the grading system. But what our grades essentially measure is production. They measure essentially how good a football player is um, in college football. Now, the guys that I've noticed PFF will tend to like are the guys who are just productive. But what um, film uh, what film does and what watching film as like a scout will do as opposed to watching film just to plug in numbers into a spreadsheet is when you want when you're watching film with a scout, you have to un- you need to understand why something is ha- uh, something is right. happening. You need to understand uh, why uh, Justin Herbert is a little bit more uh, little a little too inaccurate. So let's think of like some guys who PFF, um, uh, who PFF really liked. Let's go with JJ Arcega Whiteside and Andy Isabella as examples of players that, um, that PFF really liked in the draft process more than other scouts that, uh, that were misses. Uh, we'll t- we'll talk about uh, we're definitely gonna talk about Rashawn Gary eventually and uh, yep. about about that um that one, but essentially 
the uh, PFF really liked Andy Isabella and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside because they were very, very productive in the systems in which they were. But they didn't necessarily take into account that, one, Andy Isabella is a, is a little small and he might not be as productive as he was in UMass as he would be in the NFL. So far, he's mostly just been a gadget player and has not really proven that he can be like a true X down um, running goes down the sideline. And J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was kind of the opposite. If he was able to make a whole bunch of plays and be very productive using his size, but when the players um, are are bigger and stronger, he hasn't been able to replicate that and separate. So those are kind of like two examples of if you're just looking at grading, you may be missing the why this player is succeeding. And if you're a good uh, good scout, you may take, uh, have the question of, is this going to be replicable at the next level? Right. You- I, I think um, a player that comes to mind for me is Calvin Johnson. I mean, I, I'm a huge Lions fan. I grew up watching Calvin Johnson. His his size, there was not a human being on the planet who could cover Calvin Johnson. He was just too big, too fast, too athletic. You you couldn't do it. You had you needed you needed two human beings to cover him, right? And that type of size matchup, that type of just overwhelming athleticism, does not come you know every year. You know, like that that type doesn't happen. I, I think um, watching film is very important to see. Like, sure, maybe this guy is showing out right now, but that's just because he's six foot six, 300 pounds, right? But when you get to the NFL, everybody's six foot six, 300 pounds, right? You got every, like, half the players you're going to find are your size, if not bigger, for a vast majority of the players that are scouting. So I think if film, film study is important for that, because like you said, PFF and analytics are going to, it's going to be very important in your production. But if you can't produce against equivalent talent, then, you're not going to be a good player, right? So I, I was watching film on uh, Alaric Jackson today, uh, the Iowa tackle, who is 6'6", 320 pounds, I believe. And he just, like, when players try and one-on-one get through him, it's it's, it's rough. It is it is pretty ugly because he's just too big, man. But when you get to the NFL, you're going you're gonna to come up on players like, uh, like, like Von Miller. Like, he's just going to run around you. Right. Or you're going to come up on, against players like Trey Flowers on the Lions, who's who's just strong enough. You know, you're going to come up against these players where you can abuse your size as much as you have been able to in college. And I think that's something that is very important when you're watching film and trying to see if these players are going to translate well to the NFL. Absolutely. Uh, another side of the uh, flip coins. I mean, while we're kind of making fun of PFF, uh, I think it's also important to um, look at. Uh, three quarterbacks who PFF said were not going to do very well and are doing very well. And that would be, uh, or are at least doing significantly better than what PFF said they were going to do, was going to be Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, and Justin Herbert. They had Josh Allen as a second round player and were consistently saying that, hey, Josh Allen shouldn't be a first round pick because he is inaccurate. And if you watch this film, you would know that, yes, he is inaccurate. But what they weren't able to gauge was, hey, this guy actually went into a system that believed in him and he slowly ended up developing that accuracy. And now um, I actually made a bet three years ago that Josh Allen wasn't going to make a Pro Bowl in his first three years, which just based on regular odds would have been pretty a good bet. Like any quarterback first three years getting a Pro Bowl taken in the first round. 
But no, I was so confident with all the PFF stuff and kind of missed on that. And then they said Daniel Jones should have been a third rounder. And they had Will Greer as a first rounder that year. And um, again, they just thought he was inaccurate and didn't take into account the system or take into account intangible effects. And then this past year, my guy, Justin Herbert, um, they had Tua over Herbert, which I thought was ridiculous because I thought a lot of the inaccuracy that they were, um, that he was dealing with, and it wasn't even, he wasn't even that inaccurate, was due in part to the system where he just never really had the chance to really show off what he was capable of doing. And because he wasn't given that chance, he couldn't, he couldn't show it on film and it didn't show up in the numbers, but he still had it in him. So those yeah. are some, those are some guys which um, I'd say PFF missed on the other way. Yeah, for full transparency, I definitely whiffed on Justin Herbert. I did not think Herbert was going to be very good. Um, and I guess similar to Josh Allen, I think something that I'm personally learning as well as a lot of people in the analytics community is not it's not frequent, but you can teach accuracy. Like there are mechanical things that a quarterback can learn to do to improve his accuracy. And uh, it's it's hard to quantify that in analytics, right? Because that that's a complete coach film mold that you need, you need to have a coach like Sean McDermott has been able and the Bills staff has been able to do Josh Allen to turn him into arguably an all pro quarterback. And uh, Justin Herbert's been able to show out and uh, put up a, a solid argument for offensive rookie of the year over in Los Angeles. And I think I think learning to develop accuracy is something that a quarterback can do that I definitely didn't think you could. I, I, I thought accuracy was like an inherent, if you're not accurate, you're not accurate type thing, but it seems like you can, you can teach that a little bit. Yeah. And what is it? It can, it can kind of go the um, other way. A quarterback can regress in accuracy. You can take a look at Baker Mayfield last year where um, his footwork and his mechanics were screwed, were screwed up and he did look like a very inaccurate quarterback his sophomore season in the NFL. But this year he's looking a lot more accurate. You can take a look at Carson Wentz, who for most of his career was a relatively accurate quarterback. And now this year he couldn't hit the ocean if you um if you threw out of a boat yeah what happened to Carson Wentz <laughs> I have no explanation for that one nobody does it's it's the most it's it's perplexing so there's just so much more var uh there's just so much variance that can happen in in three years like like the, just the huge range of outcomes from the absolute best outcome of the player turning into like the equivalent of Aaron Donald to JJ Watt to the absolute like worst uh, scenario of him getting injured, uh, career ending injury or going to jail or uh, like the variance is just uh, is just incredible. And that's uh, that's what makes this job um, so so interesting. It's like predicting the weather, but football. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, so. We talked about we talked about your background. We've talked about an, um, analytics and PFF and how to uh, how to combine those things with data. So let's actually kind of like put that into practice with some of the uh, guys that you scouted. You mentioned briefly um, Alaric Jackson. You think he's big. You think he's big. You think he's strong, but you just don't really think um, 
he just what doesn't have the foot quickness does he yet or the reactive athleticism to start at the next level just yet is that your take on him yeah I think I think Jackson is a really interesting player because I like I said he's an absolute unit um and he just abuses that uh against the college competition but he struggles in the Iowa system that asks him to do to at least in the run system to do a lot of zone blocking and he just does not look comfortable blocking on the second level and I think I think if you put him in a gap scheme where you just tell him to block down and just blow someone up, I think he's able to do it, right? Uh, but I think Iowa doesn't really utilize that. So I think he could be a very good player in the right system. But I think if, you, if you're asking him to move and block second level, he's, he's just not going to do it for you. Um, so he's, he's one of those players I think is scheme specific, which I suppose plenty of players are, right? If, if you're able to work in any scheme, you're a first rounder automatically. But... Um, he's definitely a good player, but he's he's got some flaws. Okay, yeah, that uh, that would make sense. He's uh he's no Tristan Wirfs. That's yeah, uh that's for not. sure. Uh, let's move on to um we're gonna talk about Quiddy Pay, and um uh how how has he been how has he been doing this year? Yeah, Quiddy Pay has been one of the few bright spots on Michigan this year. I think. Watching him before the season, um, my biggest criticism of Pei was he was way too passive. When I would watch film of him, he would he'd have a move or he'd have the control of the guy he was trying to beat, the tackle he was trying to beat. He'd throw them to the side or he'd get past them, and then he'd just like stand at the line of scrimmage, watching what to do, waiting for the running back, waiting for the quarterback, things like this. Like he he would he was beating his players or his uh, tackles and his offensive linemen, but he just wasn't doing much with it. I mean, he'd make, he'd make a lot of lateral tackles in the run game, stopping uh, runs for a yard, um, but he wasn't uh, creating much disruption uh, on his pass rush. Um, so coming into the season, I was really interested to see, could he translate that and could he improve his game in that area? And I was very surprised and I've been very impressed with Pace output this season. He has, he took that ability to beat uh, the offensive lineman and he he ran with it. I mean, he's been able to solidify himself as a top one or two round prospect. He's been able to effectively rush the passer against every team he's played this season. He's been effective. He's been effective um, in creating big plays. He's caused a few forced fumbles. I can think of week one against Minnesota. I believe he caused a forced fumble late in that game. Um, he had, he had like a stretch of three plays where he sacked the quarterback on every single play. Um, his his run defense has been just as good as it was uh, last season and the uh, seasons before, um, which is really interesting to see coming out of Michigan. Michigan's had a lot of really good edge players the last few seasons. Uh, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> they've had uh, Aiden Hutchinson this season is another good, uh, another really good player. So, I, Michigan's been able to develop edge prospects and, and pay has really shown out this season. I think he, he's, he's possibly a first round player. And I think, uh, I think he could be very good in the NFL. Yeah, that's uh that's great to hear. So you 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 got to witness, um, a player go from, uh, a player who's thinking to a player who's playing. That's what it, that's kind of right. what it sounds like. Like he's, he's reading and not reacting, but now he's actually just, it's, it's second nature uh, to 
circle back to Rashawn Gary. Like when I was first reading about like Quiddy Pay and how we're like, oh, he's six foot three, two eighty, runs a forty yard dash in four point five, runs the three code in like four seconds flat. Um, I'm like, oh, so he's gonna be Rashawn Gary, uh, Rashawn Gary two point oh. But the main difference between him and Gary seems to be that Quiddy has actually been able to show a level of production when Gary uh, Gary didn't. That uh, Gary is an example of somebody that PFF was very low on, and PFF was right to be low on that his lack of production was a big uh, big concern at least so far. Right. Yeah, I think uh, with players like Pay, it's really really encouraging to see development late into their careers. Right. When you see players like in maybe in their junior or senior seasons really come into their own, figure stuff out and really improve their game. Because like I said, Pay's biggest criticism that I had was he was too passive and he just flipped a switch. I, I don't know what happened in in the 2019 offseason, but he is a completely different player and he's he's a stud and players like Gary. When I watched Gary at Michigan, I saw the same guy in his freshman season as I, as I did in his last season, he was an athletic freak. And what would he had his big plays? They were, it was like, you thought he was going to be an all pro, right? Cause I, he'd have plays where he would just blow up the tackle or he'd run by him, turn the edge and he'd make a huge sack. But those plays were just too few and far between. I mean, he was a workout warrior. He showed out the combine and he's an athletic freak, but like you said, with PFF, they just there just wasn't enough production. And if if you can't put up production against college level talent, and I mean, sure, you're in the Big Ten, you're against Iowa offensive line, Ohio State offensive line, Wisconsin offensive line. You've got really good players, but just not quite NFL talent. Are you going to be able to produce? And I think Gary, who has been playing better this season with Green Bay, still hasn't put up the production that they certainly would have liked to see from their uh, from their high pick and Gary. Mm-hmm. Certainly, he's certainly not uh, Brian Burns. No. Sorry, Packer fans. <laughs> All right, and then last last little point on Pay. Do you see uh, the elite change of direction ability? Because I remember Jordan Reed from Draft Network tweeted out that he heard that uh, Pay ran like a 6.7 three, uh, three cone, which wouldn't just be like the best three cone for any like defensive lineman like ever. It would be like comparable to like like the Darren Sproles and like a five foot seven wide receiver type three cone drill right yeah Yeah, i think like with pay i like i said he has at least a lot of his 2019 tape when you'd watch like i said he'd get past the offensive lineman and he'd just stay lateral the line of scrimmage right so i think he was able and he was good right he was able to do that because he has such good lateral agility he was he's literally able to make he, he'll get past the left tackle and make the play on uh, at, at the uh, opposite C gap just because he's able to move his feet quick enough to get across the line of scrimmage like that. And I, you know, I don't know if he actually ran a 6.73 cone, but I can tell you that he certainly has the elite level um, direction change that you, if you want from your defensive end, you can get it from pay for sure. Wow. All right. So, yeah, if, I don't know. If, from the, what you're telling me, if if he dominates the combine like we think he's going to dominate the combine, that's that looks like a uh, that looks like a first round, maybe even a high first round player, at least in my opinion. 
All right. Next guy. It's a guy you said that you've got a pretty good opinion on him. I know you're a Michigan fan. So uh, what's your take on Justin Fields? Is he uh, going to be worth that number two pick? I mean, I've watched some Zach Wilson. We can play a little compare and contrast on what we what we think and who's going to be the number two QB on our, um, on our board. Uh, give it to me, Matt. Yeah, so I kind of hate how good Justin Fields is. I mean, he's every time he's played, I won't have to watch it this season because of COVID, but Justin Fields tore into Michigan last season. I mean, it, not only like Michigan was one of the best defenses in the NCAA last season. And ju- I believe Fields put up 60. It was, and uh, it was that game where I first started taking a look and I was like, okay, what is going on with this kid? And I don't look, all right. I don't want to, I don't want to blow up any, any, draft Twitter, but I think Justin Fields might be a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. I don't like to, to me, Trevor Lawrence is, is the ceiling prospect. Like Trevor Lawrence could be as good as Patrick Mahomes. I, I, he has that possibility. He has the arm. He has the talent. He's, he makes throws that are absurd, but I think Justin Fields could be like his comp, his ceiling comp, I think is Russell Wilson. And I think like Justin Fields has these beautiful touch passes. I'm talking fade routes, out routes, where he'll just drop it into the literally the only spot on a dime, on a literal dime. It will blow me away. He doesn't quite have the like Russell Wilson. He doesn't quite have the like fuming arm talent where he'll, or like Matt Stafford. He'll just sidearm a ball 30 yards for no reason. But he he's just an all around great player. His accuracy is absurd. And like I said, I don't know if I'm putting him over Trevor Lawrence, but I think he he's worth the conversation and people aren't even talking about it. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I've, I have heard from some people who are saying that some NFL teams are going to have fields over Lawrence off of decision making. But um, my thing with Trevor Lawrence that I feel that is just so ridiculous is his his athleticism that like, yeah. Clemson barely even uses. I almost feel that my comp for him would be Andrew Luck with Cam Newton's legs, which is just the most absurd thing to even like think about. So let's let's kind of like go into our grading system and just give like some ballpark grades. I mean, we don't have uh, sales in here to give us uh, the actual Trevor Lawrence report. But I think it's pretty safe to say that Trevor Lawrence's arm strength is what we would call an eight. So it would be top five in the NFL when he comes in. So he's immediately going to have a Matt Stafford, Joe Flacco in his prime, Jay Cutler type arm. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Trevor Lawrence has a cannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what What would, what would? do you think uh, arm arm strength would be like for uh, Fields? Six or seven? <sighs> Can I go six and a half? He's, he's like his, – his arm talent is by no means elite. Um, but he'll get the job done. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of a comp. I, I, I guess I'll keep going back to Russell Wilson, where it's like it's rare that you'll see an absolute dart from Russell Wilson, but it's also rare that you'll see the Drew Brees sort of like, was he trying to throw that ball hard type ball? You know, like he's definitely got he's got it when you need it. Um, okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling with um, Zach Wilson's ar- uh, arm strength, because um, like there are balls where I feel that like yeah he's chucking the ball 40 yards down the field, but it feels a little underthrown. But I'm not sure if it's like un- intentionally underthrown to get like the pa- uh, pass interference. And then occasionally Zach Wilson will just be like feet feet in the air, 
all arm and wrist just flick and it just right. goes so that's kind of what I, um, I'm thinking. A six would be sufficient for the um, sufficient at the NFL level. A seven would be top uh, top half of the uh, NFL. So I probably I probably put it at a six. I, I don't. He's probably around that sixteen to eighteen range, if I had to guess. So like an, he'll get the job done in that. Okay. Aspect. Yeah. Eighty-seven in Maddenish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it'll be good enough. You'll you'll be all right. All right, and then. I'm guessing short throw accuracy has got to be a strong seven, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think Justin Fields' biggest um, biggest advantage is definitely his um, mid-range. But his his short-range throws, I, he, he'll, he's definitely very good. He's going to be very above average. Um, you, you put him with a good slot receiver, and he, he's going to tear – he can tear a defense up for sure. All right. Um, do you have any like weaknesses for Fields? I remember when I was like, I haven't watched Fields, like sat down and watched Fields, but you know, I've I've watched him on TV, and I just feel that so many of the, uh, my my original criticism was like, man, he just throws so many short, short, easy passes, but then like two or three times a game he'll like throw a perfect dime down the field. So I was a little concerned about like his like where he's throwing the ball to, but then I'm like, but whenever he does, it works. Do you have like any, like, what are your concerns with uh, fields at the next level? Any? Yeah, you, you touched definitely on um, looking at my areas to improve on uh, for fields. Uh, you touched on it directly. Uh, my biggest thing is he's conservative too often. There are times where I would see there's two players open, one 30 yards and one 10 yards, and he takes the 10 yard play, which I mean, I guess <laughs> sort of like sort of what Tom Brady's been doing the last three seasons of his career, but it's not it's not bad. I mean, getting a 10 yard completion in, that turns into 20 isn't isn't bad by any means. It's just I'd like to see Fields take some more chances because he has the arm talent and he has the accuracy to do it right. He can he can pull that off, but he definitely checks it down more than I'd like to see. Uh, he also, at least from my film study, he can struggle to throw on the run, which oh. is yeah, is something that I, it's not it's by no means like a. Like he can't do it. It's just at least almost all of his 2019 film had a, there was at least one throw a game where I, I didn't really like what I saw on the run. Um, I haven't do, I haven't dove into it as much in 2020, but I I do think that's something that he definitely needed to improve on. Um, other than that, my biggest criticism is that he had he didn't have many flashy like wow throws i you know like the the thing that trevor lawrence does every play you know yeah where like where you want you just watch him throw the football and it's just it's insane like how does he or patrick mahomes it's like how does he make that throw i don't understand um he doesn't have much of those but i mean you don't you don't need those to be good right i mean when was the last time you were impressed by a drew Brees throw you know but he's, yeah. he's still been able to put up thousands of yards high touchdown low interception for his entire career right so I think what's interesting about the Fields Lawrence discussion is they are just different types of players. If you yeah. want your offense to be ran by Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, the just the just, like the quarterback is the offense type thing, then you're drafting Trevor Lawrence. But if if you want an all-around good team with a guy who's going to take care of the football, throw good throw the ball well and just be able to pick apart a defense, I think that's Fields. So it, I think what, what what you view as the better quarterback, it really depends on what you want your quarterback to be. 
Yep, that's what a lot of that's what a lot of scouting is, and yeah, Tra- Trevor Lawrence is a more aggressive player. He's going to have he's going to throw those passes where you're like, that was an incredible pass, but was that also a terrible pass? Because that was one millimeter away from getting intercepted <laughs> right, right. by three different people, and it just th- it's like threading the needle literally through the defense. When Fields again is will be happy to dink and dunk down the field um what do you how do you feel about fields athleticism because at some points i've kind of felt that it might be a little overrated because he doesn't really do all that many of like the zone reads or as many of like the like the designed runs as i saw like um lawrence or like uh, other quarterbacks do do you think he's actually going to run like a four five and be an rg3 type um athlete uh, at quarterback, or is it going to be more like Deshaun Watson or uh, or Russell Wilson, like 4.6, 4.7? He'll outrun a he'll outrun a slow defensive line, but he's but he's not going to like be RG three or Lamar Jackson. How how is his athleticism? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's going to be above average in the NFL without question. Um, probably top ten, but he's he's no Lamar Jackson. He's not RG three. He's not he's not going to have many designed run plays or like I think his biggest because because I I've seen him struggle sometimes to throw on the run I think he's going to be more inclined to stay in the pocket he's going to be more effective from the pocket because I mean you see players like Deshaun Watson where he almost seems like a better player when he's on when he's outside of the pocket right he'll he'll just I'll run four defensive linemen then launch it 80 yards down the field and complete a touchdown right I don't think that's Fields's game but he has athleticism and he he could be a player I get I think gets like 40 to 50 rushing yards a game sort of like the Josh Allen level of production he doesn't run like Josh Allen but that type of he's going to run it 10 times, get 50 yards of rushing a game. It's a threat you have to account for, but it's it's not a game plan thing. OK, so he, he he's still going to get the uh, six to eight rushing touchdowns a year. I need to know yeah. if I'm probably drafting him in my dynasty yeah. league. Yeah, uh, I, I've got I've got the number two pick to pick this year. It was a rough, it was a rough year. I had like Eckler, Kittle, Tom, Michael Thomas, and they all go and get her. I was going to win right. the league. But now I'm drafting second. I'm like probably going to draft Justin Fields but when you were talking about him being more of a pocket quarterback I'm like oh no is is this going to be like a Baker Mayfield type ceiling where it's like you know he's going to be good but he's never going to get you like the rushing that you need to be an elite fantasy but yeah if he can if he can run and be that kind of like Josh uh Josh Allen or like a better than Andy Dalton Alex Smith kind of threat running the ball or scrambling then that'll be good because I actually think Trevor Lawrence can easily could, if they really wanted to, I think he could really be like an eight to ten rushing touchdown a year type guy. Because oh, like, absolutely, Trevor Lawrence, his uh, his athleticism running the football is it, it like you, you like you said, you rarely get to see it because he he can just throw the ball prettier than anybody, but. I mean, what was it? The national championship game last the Ohio, year? The Ohio that, State game where he ran yeah. for 66 yards. That was kind of like the moment where it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, this is he. Um, he's like Joe Burrow. Good. That's what I realized. Wait a second. It's like Joe Burrow with a cannon and four six speed. Right. And then my head just was like exploding. Like, I don't, I, how am I going to even fit him in my grading scale? He's going to have sixes and sevens and eights for pretty much everything. Yeah. I, cause I think it's, it's just such an interesting discussion that we're bound to constantly hear up until the draft is actually over. Um, maybe even after, 
because uh, I, like I said, I think him and Fields are just different. They do different things. But when you're drafting Trevor Lawrence, you're you're shooting. You're shooting for like a talent that he has the capability of being not only an all pro quarterback, but he has the talent of being one of the best quarterbacks to play ever. Like he has the yeah. arm, he has the legs. He, he could be Patrick Mahomes. He, it, it just could, it could happen. You know, he could be, he could be nothing, but you're taking well, I don't, your shot. I think his, I think his floor is still at least Drew Bledsoe. Like that is <laughs> yeah. like, his Drew floor Bledsoe. is like a better Jay Cutler. Right. Except maybe a better person than Jay Cutler too, but yeah. yeah, he definitely he definitely has more of a floor. Um, so I think that's why he will end up being drafted first overall because he has better upside than Fields. I think like when I I love watching Fields because his his mid range accuracy is absurd. Every every ball in between ten and twenty yards is going to be completed with Fields, but he's just not as much fun to watch. And I guess there's a little bit of that aspect you got to take into effect. If you're a general manager, you you gotta you got to win games. You got to sell tickets, right? And mm-hmm. Trevor Trevor Lawrence is selling tickets in the same way that Joe Burrow was selling tickets for the Bengals, right? Or mm-hmm. I guess he would have if COVID would have. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so have you watched any Zach Wilson yet? Zach Wilson will have like an interesting place as being uh, the Ryan Tannehill in this um in this redo of the 2012 class, kind of, sort yeah. of. My I had I definitely haven't watched enough Zach Wilson to have a full take on it yet. Really what happened is I was watching all my other players, watching Fields, watching Pay, watching Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan too. I'm watching all these players, and I, I see on draft Twitter people are like, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Zach I'm like, who is this guy? BYU quarterback. He's, he's I mean, he has, he's shown stuff, man. I don't know where he was last year because I haven't, I literally hadn't heard of him up until a few months ago. But he has, he's got stuff. And I, uh, I ended up scouting Chandon Herring, who's a tackle prospect out of BYU. Um, ended up being able to watch a little bit of Wilson, having to watch a lot of uh, pass pro for Herring. And he's, he's got some stuff. I don't, I don't personally, from what I've seen, I don't think he's as good as Fields. But admittedly, I haven't, I haven't gone on a full film breakdown to decide whether or not I think he's in the conversation. So here, here is my um, take, and this is what I've been tell, uh, telling Searle. I legitimately think his deep throw accuracy may just be an eight. Like, he may come in as being, like, a top five deep ball accuracy type person in the NFL. Because the way I, – I made a tweet about this, and it went mini-viral, and I had a whole bunch of Mormons re- uh, liking it from BYU where I'm set, where I said that Zach Wilson completes 30 yard go routes from the far hash at a, like at a rate of that most quarterbacks complete their slants. And I actually like, went and fact checked this like on PFF. Cause I was just like, you know, like saying that, like, cause like he will complete two to three go routes, far hash 30 yards down the field like two to three times a game and like you said like literally in a dime and he doesn't have like chris Olave catching his passes either he has right. like mitt romney or gunner romney or whatever the <laughs> heck <Mitt is>. romney. <laughs> the yeah. only mormon we can think of <laughs> yeah so um i was just like thinking like that's insane and then i literally went and like checked and yes zach wilson from uh, in 2020 has a better um, adjusted completion percentage. So completion percentage not taking into account like throwaways or drops or anything like that. So he has a better uh, completion adjusted completion percentage on throws 
past 20 yards than Jordan Love did. So Jordan Love, first-round quarterback, from passes 1 to 20 yards. That is how accurate Zach Wilson is on deep balls. So I'm not sure how replicable that this his money throw is will be at the next level. Part of me is thinking it would be perfectly replicable because yeah, the corners are going to be better, but his wide receivers are going to be better and there isn't a more difficult path that, or like, yeah, there's going to be people going one-on-one deep down the sidelines in the NFL, especially on the far hash away from the safety. So part of me is like, yeah, that throw is going to be there, but then it's just like, you see that one thing that he does super, super well, and he also is pretty good throwing, like, the deep posts and the um, and deep crossers. But it's it's a pretty simple offense in BYU. They do a lot of max protect, and we really don't see him that much under pressure. Um, I know in the highlights you see him as, like, a great playmaker out of structure thing kind of player. There were a lot of plays where you see him Johnny Manziel trying to Johnny Manziel, and he gets taken down for a 10-yard 10, 10 sack. And it's like, come on, man, just step up in the pocket and deliver it. You're not the Mormon Manziel. Um, so there is a little bit of questions like that, but yeah, I'm very comfortable with him as the third qu- uh, third quarterback off the board, and I was thinking maybe there can be a little bit of conversation between Fields and Wilson, but the way you were talking to, to me about uh, Fields, maybe, maybe there still is a li- little bit of a gap. I mean, if we're just talking straight arm talent, then yeah, I think Fields and Wilson are close, but... I think Wilson still needs to have some work in the uh, pocket presence and some of the decision-making aspects of his game. Yeah, I think looking at it from a draft analysis perspective, at least as of right now, the Jets are almost assuredly number one overall, right? And praise, please, like, do not allow Trevor Lawrence to be coached by Adam Gase. I mean, I (laughs) please don't let that happen. And but presumably Trevor Lawrence will go to the Jets so I think the real question is the Jaguars currently sit at number two, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're Jacksonville, you're probably moving on from Minshew. You're probably drafting a quarterback. Are you drafting Justin Fields or Zach Wilson? I think is the question. Right? Fields. I I'd th- say Fields, but because I because looking at like you have to look at I guess like Jacksonville has they've got some stuff on offense. They've got James Robinson who looks like a stud. He's going to be on the cheap for a few years. Uh, they got DJ Chark on the outside, who hasn't been having a good season, but he's also had Jake Luton throwing him the ball. So I think like, DJ LaVisca. Chark, LaVisca Chenault is a good uh, after-the-catch player. I think like you put Justin Fields in an offense with those three guys. Um, didn't Jacksonville just draft a tackle, too? I want to say they did, but I can't remember. Um, but they got okay. they got some talented offensive players. And I think if you put Fields, a guy who's just an all-around good quarterback, he's got the touch, he's got the accuracy, he can get it to Chenault 10 yards down the field, and Chenault can take it 30 more, right? Yeah. And he and he can throw the deep ball to Chark when he needs to. I think, like, Justin Fields to Jacksonville is a is a match that I really like. I think, and like, like you said, for your dynasty team, I think that's something that is definitely, like, if Fields goes to Jacksonville, I think that I'm, I'm I might be targeting him from a fantasy perspective because I think that could be a really good match. Yeah, uh, the one uh, I'm kind of hoping that Zach Wilson can go to Denver, oh, or right. um or no or to San Francisco. I think if you put Kyle Wilson, uh, Kyle, uh, 
um, Zach Wilson with Kyle Shanahan, have him uh, with all those yards after catch kind of guys. Right. I kind of I'm not sure if Debo or Ayuk is just like a pure run a go down the field and let him catch it kind of guy, but um, he would definitely need that kind of player. But I think he would um he would be the kind of guy um like uh he probably wouldn't start the year right away, but he would be the guy who would take the job from Jimmy Garoppolo or Drew Locke four games into the season and be a clear uh, clear improvement. Oh my God, I would just love to see Zach Wilson throwing it to Judy Sutton and Hamler. That yeah, just sounds. I was just about to say the the Broncos receiving core. I do think the Broncos have one of the best receiving core in the league. We just don't get to see it because Drew Locke has been so bad. I think between like Jerry Judy, obviously already one of the best route runners in the league. I think Cortland Sutton is one of the best deep targets in the league when he's healthy. Obviously he's been hurt this season, but, and KJ Hamler is a great speedster. Uh, and I, is Tim Patrick their fourth best wide receiver? And he even is just a great player, right? Yeah. So, he's, a, he's a free agent this year. So uh, I, is he maybe, maybe, but, and they got Noah Fant under rookie contract still, who's got some stuff. Um, Philip Lindsay is a, a player who's, I mean, he's not an all pro running back, but he's, he's got stuff. He's very good. And I think, yeah, like, like you said, if you put a Zach Wilson, a good deep thrower in there with Hamler, who can outrun anyone with Judy, who can out route run anybody and Sutton who can out jump everybody. I mean, that offense could be scary. Yeah. So yeah, that, um, th- th- uh, those are all of the, uh, that's a whole bunch of fun qu- uh, quarterback talk. Any uh, other any other players you feel uh, compelled to t- uh, talk about in the last 10, 15 minutes we have here? Yeah, a, a player I'm definitely going to mention is uh, another Michigan player, uh, is Jalen Mayfield, tackle. I believe he's been uh, opted out this season, but he is very good. Uh, preseason, I, I definitely had him higher than consensus. I had him as a almost lock for a first-round pick. I mean, th- trying to find this guy, like, uh, deficiencies in his game was was very difficult. I, I everything I saw, he he take he takes on every type of pass rusher, including Chase Young. He showed out against Chase Young um, last season uh, when Chase Young was you know the projected number one overall player. Uh, he's got great hands. He's got great push. Um, incredible drive, finishing plays, really good mobility against speed rushes, notably from players like Chase Young. Um, he's got a great anchor. The only thing I saw him struggle on was occasionally second level blocking um, and occasionally giving up the inside leg and pass pro for players trying to cut his cut across his face. But I mean, those are things that he, he was a rel- like last season, really young player. I, you know, the, and they weren't things that showed up too often for me to be incredibly concerned about it. Those can be coached out. So I think, I think, Mayfield is a player who, because he opted out, he might not end up in the first round this season. Um, but he's he's a player I think is going to be a very good, if not Pro Bowl tackle for for a decade for whoever ends up drafting him. Wow! So definitely better than Alaric Jackson, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. Oh uh, yeah! Wow. Uh, what is this? It's actually another pretty good ta- uh, pretty good tackle class. Um, would you compare him to like a like a little bit below like Je- the Jedrick Wills is and the Tristan Wirfs of last year, but maybe uh, better than Austin Jackson. Say, I was just about to say, I, if I was a GM drafting, I would target him in the late first round. Um, so he's not quite, quite your Jedrick Wills, your Tristan Wirfs, like your surefire plug and plug and play tackles. 
but he, I think he's a very, very, very good player. He's going to be very good for a long time. And uh, yeah, I, I expect him to be drafted in like the early second, like I said, because he opted out. So he just doesn't have the 2020 film to boost his resume. But I think he, he's, he's a step below those uh, Tristan Wirfs level guys, but he's, he's incredible. Yeah, like I said, the ta- tackle class is uh, another good one. We, like, we've been needing, uh, the NFL has been needing better offensive linemen, and they've just been coming. So four good tackles in the last draft, assuming Andrew Thomas gets his stuff together. I believed in you, Andrew Thomas. You're my OG one. <laughs> and then this year we have, um, we have uh, Panay Sewell, who's probably who's better than all of them. Yep. You've got Alex Leatherwood, who would have been a first rounder last year if he would have came out. Liam Eichenberg has been uh, has been playing really really well. Christian Darisol, I think, has like some of the best PFF grades this year. And then Samuel Cosme and uh, Mayfield and Redunds, like all of those, like any four of those guys, I think, are going to be in the first round this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Get it. Being a good tackle is tough. And we saw that last season or last year, last draft. Um, there's just so much competition for good tackles that players that normally would be drafted in the top 10 might fall to the 30th pick just because teams that need tackles have so many options. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, any anything else? Any other players you want to add? I think uh, another Michigan player, actually. I don't know why I like, I, don't, I guess I really like the Michigan players. Ambry Thomas is another guy um, who, before the season, I, he, he's my he's my flag plant, for sure. Um, Michigan corner, uh, he is, he's a stud. He's so good. I mean, every time, you, like, watching him, he performed incredibly well against all types of players. I mean, deep targets route runners, uh, like big, big possession receivers, everything. He's some of the most fluid hips I've ever seen. Uh, he, like he attaches to the hip of every route runner and tight coverage. He's great, great ball skills. Um, good man coverage skills in the Michigan system. You got to have man coverage skills, uh, great physicality, incredible length. And he has that upside of being that shutdown corner. I think Amory Thomas is a player who he's got a little bit of buzz, but definitely not as much as I guess Derek Stingley, you know, all these other cornerbacks uh, around the league um, or around the NCAA that are getting all this buzz. But I think uh, he's another player who has opted out this season, just like Jalen Mayfield. And man, we really miss miss him. But <laughs> but he's yeah. been he was very good in 2019. And like I said, like Mayfield, he's a player who might drop a little bit because he doesn't have that 2020 film, but. He, I think he's a player, like I said, he's my flag plant. I think he's a guy that deserves to be drafted in the top three rounds, and I think he has the upside of being a star, not only a starting, but like an above-average cornerback in the NFL. All right. I sure hope you don't have any Michigan bias going no, on. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, because I thought about say that. Watching... Nice about, say something nice about a player from Ohio State. How good is Justin Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> there's just too many too many michigan guys i know I, I scouted a lot of michigan guys i got a i guess another player i think is really good actually an ohio state player um be i believe wyatt, da- wyatt davis he uh he's a guard i believe junior guard from uh, ohio state he's uh he's also very good I project him as like a mid second round, early third round pick type of guy, um, which is, is tough to do as a guard. Cause I mean, guards are very rarely. 
Sounder. Really? Yeah, I mean, like best inside guy out there. I mean, his twenty, at least based on his twenty nineteen film, he. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He. I I haven't been able to um. Check him out too much this season, but he, coming in, I mean, he's only a junior, right? Yeah. So, Junior. Yeah. So at least last season he, I mean, sophomore, and he was able to put this stuff together um, at such a young age is really impressive. He, I, I mean, he's got he's got his work cut out for him at Ohio State, playing in a lot of Big Ten Big Ten teams, and protecting Justin Fields. He's he's just, he's incredible. Uh, I like like I said last season he's he was a little more of a project type of deal because he was so young, but. I think he's one of those guys that has the has the athleticism, has the ability that if he can put it together, then he can figure it out, you know. And he like he's not he's not Quentin Nelson, but he's he'll be able to definitely um, put together a strong enough resume to be a high caliber inside offensive lineman in the NFL. All right. Well, uh, you you heard it first. uh, Michigan student likes Ohio State player. (laughs) Is currently being chased uh, and is currently not invited back on campus. Uh, there will be pitchforks waiting, uh, people with pitchforks and uh, torches waiting outside either your dorm or your off-campus housing. Uh, so there, there you go. Well, Matt, it was great have, uh, having you. Do you want to promote your uh, uh, plug your socials or plug anything that you want to pl- uh, plug? Uh, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at MVM football. I post my uh, XTB scouting or, or scouting as well as uh, important nonsense fantasy football stuff, um, as well as really hot Justin Fields takes um, and uh, offensive line stuff, because I do watch a lot of offensive linemen. Absolutely. All right. Well, th- uh, thank you very, uh, thank you very much, and I hope all of you guys are having a having a great day. And we'll get back, um, we'll get back on the podcast grind shortly to provide you some of the the best possible NFL draft coverage and some of the best like scouting information and behind the scenes stuff. Thank you guys all so much for listening, and have a great day.